Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. On May 24, 2014, more than a dozen indigenous poets, storytellers, musicians, and spoken word artists performed at an event entitled Our Land, Culture, Community. Story, poetry, song, music, rap for liberation. The event was a benefit for the Indigenous Alliance Without Borders, whose mission is to affirm the rights of indigenous peoples, their right to self-determination, their collective human and civil rights, the rights of sovereignty, and the protection of sacred sites, and the free, unrestricted movement across international borders. Today's 30 Minutes includes opening remarks by Yaqui ceremonial leader and director of the Indigenous Alliance, Jose Matus, followed by Simon J. Ortiz, an indigenous poet and writer of Acoma Pueblo heritage who specializes in indigenous literature. He is a Regents Professor of English at Arizona State University and convened many of the artists and introduced the speakers. In the second portion of 30 Minutes today, we'll hear from author Leslie Marmon Silco of Laguna Heritage. Her latest book, Howling for Justice, New Perspectives on Leslie Marmon Silco's Almanac of the Dead will be published later this year by the University of Arizona Press. In her talk, she reflected on revelations by Edward Snowden and Glenn Greenwald and how these issues affect her work and affect us all. This is part one of a multi-part series. Here are Jose Matus, Simon Ortiz, and Leslie Marmon Silco on 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Thank you for being here today and supporting our efforts. And um, we will be uh, having a group, an amazing group of indigenous people that will be uh, performing. But also let me acknowledge that we have the youth from Pasqua Nation Reservation, back there. They came to help. And a Tucson Youth Slam. Sarah, push. So we try to involve the youth as much as possible so that we can um, get some of them interested in, in the border issues and what we're doing so they can take over in due time. Because you can see, I'm not getting any younger. And uh, we need to involve the youth to start training them and giving them that seed so they can s start working and working for our people. I want to thank Simon Ortiz for his generous uh, volunteerism, for his uh, efforts that he has made in putting this uh, event together. And um, I also want to thank all the sponsors uh, from the Yemtekia Foundation to the Yemen Commission on Human Rights, the Glue Factory, uh, who have also been very uh, good to us in providing flyers and t-shirts. So I hope you enjoy the night. And I would like to have Simon Ortiz come up. And let's give a round of applause to Simon Ortiz.
Take over, Simon. Go on, see. How's everybody tonight? Because that's what we want, to be good, to be fine, to be healthy, to be positive, to be in a good place, good spirits. And we are usually, when we get together, when we are with one another as friends, as relatives, as sisters and brothers, as mothers and fathers, as grandfathers and grandmothers. And in that way, we are a community. We are a hanno, a people, uh, raza, a community, a people. Always, emeetsi, heyarsi, tawarsi, nuwatsi, niwotashkua, truma. Because in that way, it will be strong for us and we will be uh, unified or part of each other. And in that unification and being part of each other is where we are strong. I want to thank you all for coming. Thank you to all of you, members of the community of Chuksan, or Tucson, as we may, as we may know it, of course. And whatever community that you represent here in Tucson, you are nonetheless all together. I'm from Aco or Acoma Pueblo in New Mexico, but I live in Tempe, up in Phoenix. And uh, I prefer to say Tempe because Phoenix is just a big city, right? Well, it's a big, big city. And Tucson, I especially love because I used to live here. And I still love Tucson because it's, it's Tucson a community that is uh, uh, very much, I think, a part of, uh, of all of us. Tonight, we have an offering of stories, poetry, and more stories, and songs, and uh, rap, and slam from the youth, as well as the middle-aged, such as, well, I used to be middle-aged, I'm a little older than middle age now, but nonetheless, I'm still a poet and still a storyteller. However way I can manage and am able to write, I am still a, a writer and a storyteller. So we want to start off with story. Story is really everything. It doesn't matter who you are or who we all are as you know, individuals personally or as a community of people. Stories are the bottom line. To me, they're the bottom line. And I'm a poet. But all, sto all poetry has a story. Every single one or every single word in that poem has a story. So 
I want us to welcome the first uh, presenter, a storyteller uh, extraordinaire, uh, a novelist, uh, a novelist who has uh, uh, been awarded and recognized prize upon prize. I remember when our, our first speaker, who is Leslie Marmon Silco, uh, received uh, recognition for her first novel, The Ceremony, back in the late 1970s. And uh, everybody at home, uh, at Laguna and Acoma, I'm from Acoma, as I said, and Laguna is right uh, next door, a sister, Pueblos, uh, Acoma and Laguna living next to each other. And uh, because she was telling a story essentially about the community, a persons and people within that community. And you cannot uh, fail but to know uh, the heart when you see your own heart in that story. And then when she received the uh, uh, John and MacArthur uh, Fellowship or prize as a, as a very noted uh, uh, writer, uh, called, in fact, a, uh, I guess a genius award. And there is nothing, nothing, uh, obviously, uh, uh, to be ashamed of, to be called a genius. And I was so happy when, uh, Leslie Mormon Silco, a sister, writer, poet, community person, received such an award back in the 1970s. So, with those two, kind of mentions of what her history has been. Her history, of course, is much more extensive than that. But I would like us to welcome our sister, our friend, our fellow writer, and our community uh, uh, member, Leslie Marmon Silco, please. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. And thank you, Simon. We really owe so much to Simon. He takes such good care of us and makes us show up on time. And I really admire organizers and people that work with people. Um, I became a novelist because, really, I'm very shy. And I'm mostly um, happy to be with um, uh, animals and snakes and things like that and human beings really um, scare me a lot and uh, and and yet and yet I, I love them and so um, I really wanted to to come tonight and um then right before I left the house I was sort of having I think like an anxiety attack anyway so you'll have to um, bear with me tonight um, what I want to do tonight is to talk to you and and about something that I think is terribly important. It's important to all of us from um, communities that have been marginalized in the past, um, all of us that want to work for human rights and um, um, are concerned about human beings the world round. And what I want to talk about um, is linked with, I think it's, it's, it's about, it'll be it's about technology 
but it's also about um, Edward Snowden and the recent disclosures about the United States government, um, the National Security Agency, the CIA, and the, F um, the FBI, um, once again um, spying on the U.S. citizens. In, 19, um, in 1973, um, uh, Senator Frank Church of Idaho um, on the, was the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, which exposed the rogue units uh, and the illegal behavior during the late 60s and 70s, the spying on groups, um, mostly groups who wanted to stop the war in Vietnam. But then they spread out and they, were, they began to watch groups that wanted to unite indigenous people. Um, the concern of the, of, the, of the U.S. government ran, um, went wild and illegal. So they were called in, they were reined in. They were told uh, in 1973 after, after this, and of course in those years we found out that J. Edgar Hoover was um, performing and the FBI were spying on Martin Luther King and other people and also performing dirty tricks on um, uh, people that were active um, community organizers and so forth. And so it's not like it hasn't happened before. So anyway, this is my, this is my, my story. I had been following the, um, oh, the disclosures of Edward Snowden and um, keeping up with him. And I, I'm also, was, because the novel that I'm completing refers to the late 60s and 70s when, when um, the NSA was spying and the FBI and the CIA were breaking the law and spying on U.S. citizens then. I have that in the novel. So it's really weird to be working on the novel and then all of a sudden the disclosures from Snowden happen and it's like, what? This is what I'm writing about, but I was writing about it when the NSA was spying on us um, in the 70s, and now here came all of this material from um, Edward Snowden. And um, so I was pondering it, and I was thinking about how I like to um, brag about how brave I am and, and, and how I'm not afraid, and people, you know, how I, I can't be coerced or affected. And I think in a sort of physical, um, actual, it, within the world, I think I, I am fairly, um, I, I, feel, I feel strong and brave. But what I realized, and I began to type into, with my computer, and I made a, decided I would write a prologue to the novel that would refer to Edward Snowden's whistleblowing and, and these, the, what was being disclosed. And so I thought, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really be honest. And the truth is, is that um, after 2000, and, um, actually it was in 2002 when I figured out that somebody was reading my email. And this was very early, this was before any of these other disclosures. And I, I knew it because I hardly ever sent email. And I didn't get very many emails in 2002. And I would go and check my, e I went twice, two different times when I went to check my email. I got a little 
a little, um, it was just on a, on a blank. It, it wasn't anything from the company or anything. It just said, the email of Leslie M. Silco is not available at this time. And I knew right away what was going on because I, I had, uh, the, a couple of days after 9-11, I had sent an email to the Middle East and it had already been said that they were going to check on everybody who communicated that way. So, so I just decided that I didn't care. But I did notice that after that, I, I began to not um, um, pay, I, I began to not care about email anymore um, because I had this sense that it wasn't secure. But I just went along, I went on, and, and um, I thought, like a lot of people, a lot of Americans are saying, oh, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, then what's the big deal? But I began to really think honestly, and what it does is it does something to the muse, to the creative imagination, to, to um, a part deep, that's deep, deep inside of me and, and of all of us, and even though we can say that we're not going to change what we write or what we say, I have to stand here today and confess that it does change and it makes, uh, it makes, it makes writing and expressing and especially fiction where you're making it up, it makes it extremely difficult when you have the sense that you're being spied upon you are listening to Remarks Made at Our Land, Culture, Community, Story, Poetry, Song, Music, Rap for Liberation. The event was a benefit for the Indigenous Alliance Without Borders. We'll continue with author Leslie Mormon Silco on 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson. You know, so I was, I was typing. I was typing on this thing I called the prologue. And I was, I was thinking, uh, I was referring to what had happened before um, with, uh, uh, with the spying on U.S. citizens. And um, I, I got up and I, I put, I, I, I closed the file and I put the computer on sleep and I went away for a few hours. And when I came back, I, started looking for the file and it had a long name it was called um, prologue to blue sevens blue sevens being the novel and uh, this happened in february right around the 11th of february 2014 and i had been writing about how grateful i was that snowden had um revealed what was being done um especially with um, all of our emails and with computers. And I w that's what I was writing about. So when I got back from my break and I went to find the file, I couldn't find a file named Prologue to Blue Sevens. I looked, you know, I didn't have that many things on my computer screen. And then I noticed the strangest thing. I noticed a file that had a name that I had never seen. And it was just one word, well. Well, it was they, and now, um, and so, so at the time on February 11th when I, I saw this, I knew right away what had happened. And this was before 
I had, um, well, let me tell it in, in the right order. So on the 11th of February, I came back and over the internet, by remote keystroke, they deleted the name of the file that I had, and, they, and this was the file where I was writing about Snowden, and they put, they put well. So I, I, I thought that it was in really crazy. I didn't really know that they could do that. And, but I believe that was what had happened. So I only told my son, I only told a few people what had happened. I didn't tell a lot of people. And then um, I got a phone call from my um, eldest son, Robert. And he said, Mom, you've got you've to go read The Guardian, the February, um, oh, what is it, February, now I'm forgetting the, the date of it. Um, it um, oh, what was it? It was like the fe February 21st um, online. It's an interview with a journalist. And it happened to him, Mom, my son was saying. What you said happened to you. And so I went and uh, went and read the um, interview with Luke Harding that The Guardian has. And he was working on a book about Edward Snowden. And while he was working at his computer, he watched the words that he had just typed. They just disappeared off the, off the screen. And so um, when, I, when my, my son, you know, was excited because... When I first, when it first happened to me, I was thinking, I mean, possibly, I mean, it was just so crazy before we knew all of this material, before uh, we started to learn what's contained in the disclosures of Snowden, that it was possible for them to do that. Yeah, they can do that. So then I spent the rest of February trying to figure out how to protect the novel I was writing, so not hard enough when you're 66 years old and you know you're 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 lazy and you're 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 you're, you're fighting yourself to write the novel, and then you have to worry about how you're going to deal with the richest, the government of the richest country on in the world who wants to stop you from writing. You know, it's like oh no, it was already, you know. So um, I started to try to make get a secure computer situation and and for a while I thought it was possible so I scurried around and I tried to um, I, I, I uh, got rid of I have my con I call it the contaminated computer and that's the one that I use when I go online and then I tried to have set up this other one but the truth is is that you really can't set up a computer and a printer without going online. And then I got the Glenn Greenwald book, and everyone should try to borrow or read the book that Glenn Greenwald has written because he's the man that's, that Snowden has permitted. He's a journalist. Greenwald's a journalist. But Snowden has permitted Greenwald to systematically go through, and they're being very careful um, anything that they think would really hurt some secret U.S. agent, they're not going to release. But Greenwald's book is called No Place to Hide. And that was a st that's a, a phrase taken from Senator Frank Church in 1973. And that was his conclusion. Frank Church, Senator Church said that if the U.S. government 
and the spying agencies of the government ever got together with the private sector, and of course that's what's happened with Google and with the cell phones and so on, Frank Church said if that ever happened, then there would be no place to hide. So I, I, I urge you to try to read the book. It's not long. If you look closely, you can find all, all of the things that they've done with computers so that even if you have a computer that's never been on the Internet, they can still break into it. So, so actually we need to go back more to the spoken word the written word, um, meeting and getting together. Um, you can't trust the telephones. Uh, you know, the snail mail, they can catch, and, you know, they can open your mail. But Jimmy Carter, he, he talked about how he was using, um, just sending letters through the regular mail. And actually what that does is if they want to spy on you, it makes them go to extra trouble. So I think that's what we have to do. We have to make them go to extra trouble. And what's so crazy is while they were doing all of this kind of stuff, you know, and, and it's not just me, it's, it's, just, it's everybody they're spying on, but, you know, erasing things. While they're doing tricks like that, those those two guys did the Boston Marathon bombing. I mean, what is it that all of this money and time they spend spying on me, why weren't they doing something with, you know, because I don't even leave Pima County. I mean, I hardly even leave my house. But that's the thing that's so tragic about when you have uh, uh, the United States government go crazy and start paying just spying on us. So anyway, I bring that up because Greenwald makes a very scary conclusion, and I'm hoping that he's wrong. But he, at the end of this book that just came out, No Place to Hide, he concludes that the five English-speaking nations, and they're called the five eyes, like E-Y-E-S, like eyes, but only... You know, so are they like cyclopses, with just like a big eye? I guess so. The five—they're um, called the five eyes, and they're the—you know—what Canada, Australia, the United States, Great Britain, and what am I leaving out? Of the anyway, of the English speakers, and so his Greenwald's conclusion is that the the, the these English-speaking nations want to know everything going on everywhere in the world and what's creepy about it is that it, that they've made this thing with about english speaking it's and so so there's there's never mind that you know that that it's creepy that they want to know and control everything that goes on in the world of course good luck i mean i i, I don't think that that they can exactly pull it off but um as far as does it matter? Um, is it having an effect on creative people? I think so, because I really searched my soul and came here to tell you tonight that, yeah, it's having an effect on me as much as I, 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 I don't want it to. And so that's why people should care. People should really pay attention and um, care about what's going on in terms of these um, 
disclosures. And so that was what I wanted to do, was to come just talk to you tonight and tell you um, what happened and, you know, the, the implications. It is about technology. I mean, I wish that I had my typewriter. I've heard that the Russian government has gone back to typewriters because spies, it's harder to stuff a whole bunch of papers in your underwear than it is to just put it on one of those, you know, little digital things. So I think it, it, it does have to do also with, you know, suddenly a technology none of us dreamed would then um, be turned against us. So I just kind of wanted to um, talk with you about that and to say it has an effect and it does matter. And it, it when people are spying on you, it doesn't matter whether you're doing right or wrong, especially if you're doing right. It really um, has a profound effect. And so um, I just wanted to, to tell you about that. And thank you so much for, for listening so patiently. Thank you. Well, thank you, uh, Leslie. We all need helpful information, and helpful warnings are part of that information. You've been listening to remarks made at an event entitled Our Land, Culture, Community, Story, Poetry, Song, Music, Rap for Liberation. The event was a benefit for the Indigenous Alliance Without Borders. Today's 30 minutes included opening remarks by Yaki Ceremonial Leader and Director of the Indigenous Alliance, Jose Matus, followed by Simon J. Ortiz, an Indigenous poet and writer of Acoma Pueblo Heritage, who specializes in Indigenous literature, and renowned author Leslie Marmon Silco of Laguna Heritage. Her latest book, Howling for Justice, New Perspectives on Leslie Marmon Silco's Almanac of the Dead, will be published later this year by the University of Arizona Press. I'm Amanda Schager. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. This has been part one of a multi-part series.